five o'clock in pirate country, and it's time to get pumped up with the P-Man. hit the road. 94.3 The Game is going to get you home, and the P-Man's not holding back. Yes! Yes! Pirates win! Pirates win! Bring on the Patrick Johnson Show on 94.3 The Game. Holy mackerel! Oh my goodness! The flagship station of the ECU Pirates. Welcome in to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Barm filling in for the P-Man on this terrific Labor Day weekend, four-day weekend, three-day weekend. I don't know. I can't even keep track. I don't get days off. Philip the Ref Pilkington right across from me. And a wild weekend for ECU fans in general. A disappointing weekend, to say the very least. Nonetheless, let's get right into it. ECU hosted NC State, 13th rank NC State. I don't think that ranking is going to get any better after this weekend or after this game tonight once the AP poll comes out especially with their performance against ECU and Dowdy Ficklin. Most in attendance for ECU football home game ever, 51,711 crazy raging part fans in attendance. Great environment. Uh, the most disappointing, disappointing part about that whole a- atmosphere environment in general is the fact that ECU had their rival in NC State ranked coming to Greenville to open the season and – Pretty much could have won that game, should have won that game. And obviously we know what happened. We we, we, we know the result. You're, if you're living under a rock, unless you're living under a rock, I mean, everyone knew what happened. Um, it's, it's difficult to imagine or see that likely scenario with NC State being ranked, being our rival to open the season in a packed Dottie Ficklin or like that happening anytime soon or ever again for that matter. Just that specific scenario um, might, might not ever happen again, to be honest. And uh, that's kind of disappointing to think about. Yeah, it was the perfect scenario because we saw a close to scenario like that with Cincinnati last year. Yep. And nowhere near the crowd. Now, I know that was Thanksgiving Day weekend, but still, I mean, you got the number four team come in and you don't see the crowd that you saw this past weekend. Like you said, perfect scenario. And um, not the perfect result. No. (laughs) Yeah, the crowd was like, it was unlike any ECU game I've seen thus far in person. Yeah, just a I, whole different vibe than it's ever been. Yeah, coming in around the Scotty Mo era, early in the Scotty Mo era, I definitely have never seen a crowd like that. Yeah, see, that's when I was a freshman through sophomore, you know, so I, I was like, Sorry. oh, okay, so these are fun, but, you know, but uh, Saturday was just crazy, yeah, in a, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, I, I liken to it, liken it, this, like, that scenario, that type of deal where we might not ever see it again, um, to the South Carolina game last year, and you're probably like, what? That game was like kind of a nothing game. South Carolina kind of stinks. Well, that was an SEC school that you were able to play in Greenville and you had a chance to win. And uh, who knows when we'll ever be able to host an SEC school ever again. It seems very, very unlikely that we'll have a scenario where we have an SEC school in Greenville and Dowdy Ficklin and we had a chance to win that game. It's hard to imagine that's happening anytime soon. I know for a fact there's not one scheduled anytime soon. And usually when you schedule these things, it's almost like 10 years in advance. So uh, not not looking too good when it comes to that specific scenario. But let's get right into the game itself. Um, I kind of, to do this segment, kind of react to this segment, I kind of just put down what we learned from the game. Uh, Just kind of my basic kind of thoughts, points, and reactions to it. Um, Let's start with something that might be a little controversial. I I saw where uh, Big Game Boomer had Holton Ehlers ranked. Um, out of 50, 
as having the 21st best uh, quarterback performance in college football. Um, I guess there was a lot of quarterbacks not playing too well in week one of college football. But um, what I'm getting at here is Holt Naylor's did not look like a fifth-year guy whatsoever in that game. Take it away, Philip. I know you have some thoughts on that being there, and I'll elaborate on my point. Yeah, um, I've definitely seen a lot better Holton. I've seen worse Holton. Now, yeah. you know, uh, Holton's obviously improved tremendously in his time here. Yeah. Um, it kind of seemed like it was just the mistakes were really bad mistakes. Yeah. There weren't many. Those two interceptions were yeah. really bad. It looked like on the second one, though, it looked to me from where I was like his arm kind of got hit, though, and it caused the ball to sail. I remember us talking about that uh what when it happened? Like I didn't know if it was just a bad throw or if someone came in and like hit him or yeah. yeah. I haven't heard anybody else say anything about it other than me and Chris. Yeah, that's we why had a weird yeah. angle. So maybe his arm didn't get hit, but at the end of the day, um, Holton looked like a guy who had not played a competitive down of football in in four months. Yeah, or sorry, in eight months. So I think it wasn't that it was bad. It was just like we said, the mistakes that he had were were kind of. They were few and far between, but yep. they were costly. So, you know, when you haven't seen an opposing team's defense in eight months, you haven't played live where you can get actually sacked and hit, which he did a very good job of to not get sacked at all yep. in eight months. Um, it looks like a normal week one quarterback performance. I, I don't think we need to be, you know, feeding no. to the wolves right now. No, no, no. My only critique here when it comes to Holton is you've got five years with the program. You've been a legit starter for what? three, four years now. Um, I mean, you're a fifth-year guy. You got experience. You shouldn't have those hiccups in week one anymore, especially with the praise and uh, really the hype he was getting all offseason from Pirate fans, but nationally too, getting some national acclaim, preseason acclaim here. But and uh, the offensive line protected him really well. That's I what I was just about to get yeah. at. I mean, the pass blocking was probably the best pass block and offensive line we've seen in years at ECU, and that's always been the big kind of uh, – defense when it comes to Holton Aylers was the fact that he never had the offensive line. That is no longer the case. It's kind of weird to look at this offensive line, especially in that NC State game, because we always, when it came to offensive line, pass blocking atrocious, run blocking pretty solid. For some reason, it's the exact opposite this year. They have the they have the the hard part figured out, and what you would think would be the easier part, uh, they, they can't seem to figure out when it comes to run blocking. So, Definitely frustrating for sure, but that's no longer a defense when it comes to Holton Aylers. He has the offensive line. I will say the receivers dropped a lot of right-on-the-money passes, but as they settled in, this gets to what we also, or what I also learned from this game, um, C.J. Johnson and Isaiah Winstead look like two formidable forces when it comes to receiver and really settled in, and they look like the two guys that really carry that receiving room. No, they definitely didn't. Uh, just making a point on your offensive line point there, yep. run blocking, Keaton yep. Mitchell. 10 carries, 29 yards. Rajay Harris, 12 carries, 23 yards. So now I'm two yards yep. carry for Rajay. But, no, I agree. Uh, Jalen dropped some balls early. Jalen Johnson did. Mm -hmm. um, you just hope that's first game kind of woes if that continues. Yeah. Um, Winstead impressed me the whole game. Yeah, obviously not having just I hurt, but now I'm with you, Chris. Winstead and, like Ben said, C.J. Johnson – Amazing. Another guy I thought played well, and then we kind of quit throwing the ball to him, was Ryan Jones. Yeah, yeah, that's another one. You heard all offseason, we even heard um, some rumors or even from the coaches that, hey, we might even try him out at the slot receiver position, which was kind of wild to hear about. And uh, not really much of a factor, especially when 
you saw a lot of preseason hype, media hype, and I know they try to say the media doesn't matter or anything, but we were hearing this straight from the coaches. That was supposed to be a guy that would be a huge factor in the offense this year. Didn't get a lot of play in um, Saturday's game against NC State, which seemed was kind of shocking to me, to say the very least. Well, he had like three catches in the first two drives, and then yeah. had one catch the rest of the game. Yeah, that was the thing. It was like it looked like we were going to. It looked like all the preseason hype was, yeah, you know, Warranted, there, yeah. and then, you know, all of a sudden, oh well, here we are. It's the second quarter. Yeah, but I know it's it's tough, and it's you know when you have as many playmakers as this team does with two running backs with a lot of good receivers, a lot of good tight ends. It's tough. You want to get the ball in all your playmakers' hands, and that's what we hear from you know Coach Kirkpatrick every week. Got to get the ball in this guy's hands more. Well, there's only so many plays in a game, and so I get that. It's it's easier said than done. Um, you know, like I said, there were some drops. I don't think Ryan was any of those. He only had five targets, so maybe yeah. he did have a drop. Can't remember what the incomplete pass was, but you know, at the end of the day, it's when your name is called on. You've got to produce, and I did think Ryan did that. I would like to see his name called on a little more, but I know there's going to be – if somebody else was hosting this show, you know, and by somebody else, I mean anybody in Greenville, they'd say, well, you know, 12 attempts for Keaton's not enough, or or sorry, 10 for Keaton, or 12 for Roger, and they would just go down the list. So yeah. everybody is going to hone in on one guy that, Absolutely. oh, I wish he would go the ball more. Well, when you've got as many weapons as this offense does, it's tough to get the ball in everybody's hands as much as you want to. Yeah, I mean – and I get the run blocking wasn't great, um, but those guys, you know, we heard about them all off season. Those are guys that are supposed to be the best running back duo in the country. And uh, Keaton Mitchell and Rajay Harris really got to make that work. What I was very disappointed, and that leads me to another point when it comes to what we learned, Donnie K's play calling. And I hate, I'm not, I'm not going to bash him outright here because I, I do like Donnie K, and he's he's had some good play calling moments here at ECU. And he's had some very questionable ones. I thought his play calling was very questionable in that game against NC State. Uh, the fact that you didn't really get Keaton Mitchell involved all that much in the receiving game kind of disappointed me a little bit. Or even try to get Keaton Mitchell out in space, I thought that would have been a huge help. Uh, the fact that on a lot of third and fourth downs, uh, our go-to call was a go route or a four verts call. It was like me playing Madden watching that. I mean, that... We heard all week from Donnie K last week that the play calling was going to be more conservative. Well, I don't call third and fourth down calls where you call go routes or four verts uh, conservative play calling. That was a huge head scratcher for me, and of course, it didn't work out. So, the only thing, and I'm not going to like totally disagree with you here, because yep. it did it did seem that way. But Holton also said during the week that he has a lot of ability to audible, and they've got to the point now where they call two plays based yep. off. You know, they call two plays and he, you know, either cans one or, you know, keeps it, kind of like how the NFL teams do. And I think they really even had more belief in him to do that after he went to the Manning camp this summer. And I think sometimes Holton was just reading the defense and was calling the play based off. Now, with that being said, why is there a four verts play on a third and four? Yeah. But a lot of times I think it was one of those where Holton pre-snap read, made the correct pre-snap read, because a lot of those verts were at least in press man. Yep. And he trusted his guys to go out there and beat the corner. So I like that Holton has that trust in his wide receivers. But in a way, I also agree. It's like, well, if that even that was the second play we wanted. Should it really uh, even be yeah, an option? Yeah, yeah. I wish there were two other ones that, you know, could – you know, go against you know two different styles of defense. You know, you know two different uh, formation or schemes, I should say, and 
be a little more conservative because sometimes all you got to do is pick up the first down. You know, survive in advance is the name of the game sometimes, and you just got to pick up first downs. Yeah, because a lot of those third and fourth downs, especially down the stretch, we were trying to rally back down by a touchdown. We're within five yards. Like, there was really no need to call a play like that. So that's what really kind of stood out to me and made it really jarring and glaring was the fact that those were even an option in the playbook. Um, just looking at Holt Naylor's stats in that game, completed 25 out of 41 of his passes, 61% completion percentage, not bad. 267 passing yards, two touchdowns with two interceptions. Just an okay performance, I would say. Nothing unbelievable, not excellent. Yeah, not completely stellar, horrible, but yeah. not bad either. He did know? outplay Devin Leary, NC State quarterback, who completed 17 out of 33 of his passes for 211 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. That was a guy that a lot of analysts had as the dark horse candidate for the, uh, the the Heisman. Did not look like uh, a guy that would even be in contention for the Heisman in that game against ECU. That leads me to my next point here. If that defense plays like they played um, against NC State all year, especially against the competition in the American, which is the American is still going to be competitive this year, not as great as it's been in the past. Um, ECU could be serious contenders for a conference championship this year, especially with that defense. And I don't think Blake Harrell – that defense keeps it up and plays like that all year, is staying after this year. He's going to get some head coaching gigs his way um, just based on how that defense played, especially with the two goal line stands. I mean, you couldn't – if I was writing a book, I couldn't write, like, something better than that when it comes to a goal line stand. It was like poetry in motion. It was beautiful. I was jumping out of my seat watching that. Um, defense just absolutely stellar. And the big question I had in the offseason when it came to the defense was the secondary, losing Jaquan McMillan – losing DJ 40, lost some big pieces, and you got some guys in now that have some experience, but Gerard Stringer was a guy who's had an injury history. Malik Fleming has had his ups and downs, more downs than ups so far within the program. Um, but they both looked really stellar. Obviously, Gerard Stringer um, forced that fumble or he either forced it or recovered. I can't remember, but he was crucial in those goal line stands, especially when it came to that fumble. Um, both guys looked great. Secondary looked great. Um, looked like one of the better aspects on the defense in general, and that was a pleasant surprise for sure. Very pleased with the defense. So, I agree with the goal line stands. Yep, I think it's what everybody's been you know kind of dwelling on. Yeah. Here's two other things I want to bring up. First drive of the game that the defense was on the field. How did State get the ball? Interception. Yep. What does the defense do? They let up five yards in three plays, force a three and out, force a punt. A yep. few drives later, Holton throws another pick. What does the defense do? Force a punt. Miss PAT, yep. down one, late in the game. Need to get a stop to get the offense the ball back. What do they do? Force another three and out. Yeah. So, I liked the goal line stands. I also liked when this defense faced adversity. When things didn't go their way, you know, they didn't start in a good spot. I mean, heck, one time they started on the 27-yard line, and yep. that was one of the goal line stands. Yep. But, um, you know, that's what even makes that goal line stand more impressive. They were already in field goal range when they started the drive. Both times ECU turns the ball over. What do they do? Force punts. One time we need the ball back with it. two minutes left in the game. You force a punt. So that's what I really loved about the defense. When the going got tough, the defense stepped up big time. Absolutely. Their backs were against the wall a lot of times. And there was times where even I thought as good as this defense is, no way they're able to pull this off, especially when the goal line stands came around. And when they did it, it was an unbelievable moment. Uh, hats off to Blake Harrell. Hats off to all those guys on the defense. Defensive line looked great. Linebackers looked great and had some clutch plays. Secondary was a pleasant surprise in general. Just very pleased. And that's definitely a defense alone. We have an okay offense right now based on the NC State game, an elite defense. 
Um, that's enough to get you a conference championship in the American, I believe. But there's one glaring issue when it comes to this team, and I think that was an apparent uh, in the NC State game, and that's special teams is severely lacking right now. And you can't be a good team that wins a conference championship if your special teams ain't right. And, you know, I, everybody's probably been waiting on this, our thoughts on Owen Daffer. And I'm not going to blame Owen Daffer. Uh, obviously, he's a factor for this loss. I mean, there's no other way around. Okay, but he missed uh, the game-winning kick. The social media hate for this dude, I'm going to say I don't agree with that. Yeah, absolutely, and it, it yeah. needs to stop. I'm just being frank. Like, I've been reading the yeah. comments on Instagram and stuff. That needs to stop. Like, yeah. this guy's got to be, like, really in his head. And, I mean, that's just ridiculous, honestly, like coming after him personally. Yeah, well, those guys are idiots anyways. I mean, Owen Daffer was the reason pretty much we got to a bowl game last year. We're in bowl eligibility last year if that Navy wins. So, you know, I guess they're uh, – uh, it's what what have you done for me lately, I guess, mentality when it comes to Pirate fans or those specific Pirate fans. But, yeah, obviously it should go without saying let's not ha- harass and bully – the 19-year-old kid, because obviously he's going to put us in some positions this year where he's going to win games for us. So. And it actually is harassment. Like, he's had to turn yeah. off comments. Like, yeah. I totally don't stand by. Yeah. Uh, I don't think the blame is majority on – or the major of the blame goes on him. Uh, we talked about issues on offense, but special teams in general, his holder, Luke Larson, I don't mind going in on Luke Larson because this is a grown man. This is a guy that's, what, 32 years old? I mean, this is a guy – he's a grown man. This is not like a, a scenario where he's a kid. Grown man with tattoos and an accent. Yeah, like, this yeah. guy should have it together, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to, like, hammer the guy or anything, but just an abysmal game by him. I mean, not very good as a holder. Some questionable decisions doing rugby-style points when you're pinned up. Uh, uh, just I don't get why you're doing rugby-style points. Even when, even if you're on your, own, you're on your own 40, you shouldn't be doing rugby-style punts. But when you look at that blocked – uh, that blocked punt for the touchdown for NC State. I don't get why you're doing a rugby style point or punt in that scenario. It made absolutely no sense. I don't know if that's how they normally do it. I don't know what the deal is. I don't know if that's his call, but definitely an odd choice for sure. And then when he was holding the ball for uh, Daffer, I believe both times uh, didn't hold it right. Laces uh, not in the correct position there. Um, the ball kind of does what it wants when uh, you don't have the ball in the correct position, especially, so, yes. Here's my thing. Daffer's not the – or it's not Daffer. Larson's not the only punter on the team. Mm-hmm. There's also backup quarterbacks on the team. Yeah. Did Larson make some mistakes holding? Yes. However, he's from Australia. The way they – I'm not, the ball, I'm no, not listen, loving no, this excuse. No, listen, yeah. The way they kick the ball there is not the way we – like, he didn't grow up learning to hold. Have none of these other punters on this roster or backup quarterbacks yep. been holders before? I would rather have a guy – listen, holding's hard. Yeah. It's a lot harder in a game, no matter how much you've practiced all year. There's, I would rather have a guy holding who's held in a game, even if it was a high school game before, than a guy who's never held. It's just not an art of Aussie rules football. Yeah. It's not a skill that he grew up – yeah, he's 30 years old, never had to do this before. Some of these 19-year-old kids have been doing it for four or five years. Yeah. So – why not put a young kid in there who's done it multiple times? I mean, I'm not saying the mistake wouldn't still get made, but, yeah, I would rather see a guy who's held before. I mean, heck, it's hard. I've held. It's not fun. Yeah. But, it's it's yeah, I would rather have somebody who's done it. And speaking of just all-around bad special teams, we averaged 16 yards a return on return kickoff. Return game was the not return very game good was at all. Horrible. Yeah. It wasn't just the block punt, the missed field goals. I mean, it was just – I mean, we couldn't return punt. Now, however, Malik Fleming did look good on his punt returns. I did mm-hmm. like that. 
Uh, but kick returning was 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 atrocious, and I'm not chalking that up the returners. It was the fact that nobody was getting blocked. Yeah, coverage team was okay, I would say, but other like all around special teams abysmal. Um, you have to have your special teams going or good um, when it comes to being a good team that can compete for conference championships. We shouldn't even be talking about special teams right now. It shouldn't be a glaring issue, but it is. We got to get that straightened out. I think one more thing I want to bring up here. And this is focusing more on NC State when it comes to what we learned from that game. I think it's fair to say NC State, based off that game, doesn't look like a team that's going to win the ACC like a lot of people believed, especially if Clemson's seemingly back. Well, we'll see tonight if Clemson's seemingly, say, yeah, seemingly let's, uh, back. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to disagree with yeah. you, but uh, let's wait three and a half hours and then we'll talk about that. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, that fair point. Devin Leary, though, I think it's also fair to say not going to be the ACC Player of the Year based on that performance, especially when he was the preseason ACC Player of the Year getting all that hype. Didn't look great at all. I mean, that just looks like an, an, a quarterback that leads a team to a 6-6. Six and six Yeah, and a, and a, I and completely a agree. Horrible bowl game exactly you know, that takes them like. to the new era pinstripe bowl <laughs> to go freeze their butts off in New York. That's yeah, what it looks there like. There you go. What about the Fenway Bowl? There you go. <laughs> I don't even know who the, I, well, the thing is, the Fenway Bowl is so new. I think it's been canceled the last few years. I don't even know what conferences get bids, but I think you're right. I think the ACC one, does yeah, get One of the, the ACC bowl. teams does get in there. Okay. Believe, there you go. But, That's yeah. even probably a better analogy because I think the pinstripe bowl usually is like an eight or nine win team. Yeah. I just, NC State got a lot of hype. It'll be interesting to see tomorrow when the APP, AP poll comes out where they stand. In the meantime, that's going to do it for our reactions to ECU versus NC State. I loved what I saw from the defense. Offense needs some work. Special teams, abysmal. Be uh, interesting to see how this Pirate team rallies back and uh, just kind of recovers from that game in general if all the emotions poured into it. They face an ODU team next week in Dowdy Ficklin who came off a pretty big upset against Virginia Tech in Norfolk. Coming up, we'll hear from the players following that ACU-NC State game on the other side of this quick timeout here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Byron filling in for the P-Man on this beautiful, I wouldn't say beautiful, it's been raining, but Labor Day. Philip the ref, Tilkington, right across from me. Chris Cook on the ones and twos, who I body slammed over the weekend. It's a pretty good body slam. What would you say, Chris? I thought I took care of for you. A first, uh, for a first attempt, I'll give it a 10 out of 10. I held him the whole way. I'm a safe worker. I'm a safe worker for sure. Uh, I, I was proud. That, I, I was very proud. Brad, I, then I took you fishing, and you haven't been fishing a lot in your life, and you caught two fish at the same time. Yeah, I hope I also made you proud in that. It was. A, yeah, I showed was, you a little something. You showed me a little it was something, like, right? It's, I don't know what a proud dad moment feels like obviously i'm not a dad but uh that felt I, I imagine that's what a proud dad moment feels like we had a we had a bonding weekend over the weekend me and sounds Chris. like y'all did keyword yeah. ben is not a dad that he knows of <laughs> oh yeah hey yeah that is true. throwing that some true. shade at <laughs> I had to. i'm hey. sorry ben i love you yeah, hey. hey i'm not a dad that i know of either so yeah we're yeah all good. yeah I, I never mind i'm not gonna comment on that <laughs> i could say but i don't think it's safe for radio moving on uh, we'll hear from the players here. Some interesting comments made, and this will lead us to some more points during that game that could have stood out to me that were kind of interesting, just a little bit minor compared to the points we made earlier. Just some minor things in that game that were just kind of little interesting little tidbits. We'll start with cut one here. Holton Ehlers talked about dislocating his shoulder. So there was a moment in that game where it seemed like Holton Ehlers was down and out, and uh, let's just get right into it. Holton Ehlers talking about he dislocated his shoulder. Dislocated my shoulder and had to pop it back in. Hmm. Um, and- yeah, so it 
kept going in and out the rest of the game, but you know, is it your right shoulder? Ice it up and I'll be good. Yeah, right shoulder. Okay. All right. So his right shoulder. So that would be non-throwing. He's yeah, non-throwing throwing shoulder. shoulder. All right. That's correct. good. That's good. I had to like actually like wiggle my arms and figure it out. But yeah, that's good to hear. Um, I don't think it would be an issue moving forward. But obviously, he's got to get that fixed. But um, that 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 should have been the biggest story when it came to that. But I saw a lot of Pirate fans making a lot out of the deal or the fact that um, their guy or their boy, if you're a Holton Ayler, a uh, Holton Ayler's hater. Um, Mason Garcia was not subbed in at quarterback. Alex Flynn, the third stringer, or seemingly the third stringer, was subbed in for Owen Ehlers. There's a lot of different reasons that could be. I'm just thinking, all right, if Holton is hurt, if Holton seemingly is going to be out for a couple of games, um, right now I don't think you want to risk Mason Garcia getting hurt maybe. Uh, that's the only way I can rationalize that. And then there's the other uh, scenario where, that we've heard time and time again from Mike Houston from his mouth doesn't seem like Mason Garcia is ready. So, from sitting in the press box, we had a pretty good wide view. Yeah, Holton goes down. Mason started warming up. Yeah, to go in the game. Yeah, because if Holton was going to be out, they were going to put Mason in. Yeah, when they found out that Holton was only going to have to sit out one play. Yeah, when he he walked over and you could see him say, "I'm fine." Yeah, they told. Uh, Flynn to grab his helmet. I think the reason why is Mike Houston has said he wants to get Mason as many reps as possible. Yeah. However, he wouldn't be opposed to redshirting him this year. And yeah. you can play up to four games and still redshirt. And yeah. if you'd have played one play, it would have that yeah. would have counted as one of his that four. That is that is very so, smart. Yeah, I think that's really what it came down to. It's when they found out, okay, he's only gonna be out one play. They're like, why burn an entire game Mason to hand the ball off one time? Yeah, and I think Holton Ayler's style of play has gotten better. He doesn't mind sitting in the pocket and making the necessary throws. I think his decision making, despite the fact I wasn't all that impressed with Holton, I think his decision making has gotten better. Um he's just not like taking off and running the ball like he did when he first got here, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but nonetheless He's shown maturity when it comes to his football IQ. But um, it could be a scenario where later down the line or later in the season, we might need a Mason Garcia, and you don't want to burn. If you're trying to keep his red shirt eligibility there, you're trying to keep that red shirt, you don't want to burn it on one play in the first week of the season. Uh, yeah, I, that makes perfect sense for me. I appreciate you explaining that. Um, that makes perfect sense. I like the move. I like the move. A lot of people are questioning that and wondering why the new era of Pirate football at quarterback and Mason Garcia was not playing. So, yeah, that's, that's good to get cleared up. Moving on down the cu- uh, cut sheet here. Um, I didn't even pick up on this. Apparently, this was something announced at the stadium. I was not at the stadium. I had to watch the game here because I was doing stuff for the network. But uh, Phillip and Chris were there, and apparently Holton Aylers broke an AAC completions record passing uh, uh, Matt Rule's boy. Who was that, P.J. Walker, right? God damn. Damn it, Chris. <laughs> I was going to have Philip announce that Philip so, loves PJ Walker. Sorry I do about not that. love PJ Walker. <laughs> Philip's the biggest PJ Walker on, uh, fan I know. Yeah, all right. All right. So, what, do we even know what the number was when it comes to him breaking the completion? I record? think it was 801. Uh, I think right? it was 831. 831. I think yeah. PJ had 830. And Holton, I, 
you know what? Malcolm gave us a note sheet. Malcolm, if he's listening to this, he's like, I, I gave y'all a note sheet with yeah. this, and he'd be right. I did not bring it with me to the studio. Either today. way, However, it's not that important. It he the broke the box. record. He broke the record. He holds the record now. And then he didn't he break another record where was it most plays? Yes, he did break plays? another record. I actually don't know which one it was, but he did break two Saturday. Yes, there we go. It I was didn't most even know plays, that. but we did not get an official tally on that yet. I'm sure that is something that will be in notes tomorrow. Yep. Uh, but that has not been officially announced as to how many plays exactly he has, but he did break the record. Record-breaking ECU quarterback Holt Naylor's talking about breaking the AAC completion record. I honestly didn't know that. Um, thanks, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it'll be cool to look at, you know, after this season when I'm done playing. Um, obviously, I don't look too much into records because I didn't even know that was I was close to that at all. Um, but it's pretty cool, I guess. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of great quarterbacks play here um, in this conference, and uh, excited to see that in history. My thoughts exactly. That's about that was about my reaction when I found a broke broke a completions record. Cool, I guess. That's great, I guess. I mean, who cares? Come on. Yeah, I, I mean, it's been better to win that game. And we was, got a whole season to worry about here. It was cool that he broke it. It's yeah. cool to be announced. But like I said, it's it's cool when you when you finish your career. Yeah, I think that's. I think he handled it the right way, saying like, I mean. Not like totally brushing it off, yeah. like oh, who cares? He yeah. didn't say that, but yeah, I mean, right now, yeah, we're here to win a conference championship. So I, I yeah, I mean, but I'm yeah, I like uh, I like what he said. It's kind of my thoughts exactly. It's cool to look back years from now when you look at the AAC record book if the AAC is still around. No, I'm just kidding. But when you look back at the record book and you're like, oh hey, you see quarterback Holt Aylers, our very own, holds the record. That's cool to see. Moving on, um, probably should have started out with this, but it's fine. Um, that's on me. But uh, his opening statement and his uh, initial reactions and thoughts after that heartbreaking loss to NC State Saturday night. It does. Um, first, I want to say thank you to the fans for coming. Um, they were electric the whole game. And they put us back in there, really. Um, they helped us get back in it because the game could have went a whole different way. Um, and the fans and the defense really, really stuck stuck to it. Um, so it's proud to be a pirate. I'm lucky to be a pirate. And um, just ready for that. Moving on, senior linebacker Miles Berry talked to the media after that game Saturday. And obviously a lot was made about Owen Daffer missing the extra point and then missing the game-winning kick. Um, Here's just Miles Berry just saying, defending his boy Owen Daffer, saying, you know, it's all right. It's going to be all right. He's going to win us some games. Hit the big kick at Navy last year. Everybody loved him. You know, everybody hates him right now. You know, but as a team, that's when we have to step in and comfort him. I still think he's one of the best kickers in the nation. So uh, he'll be back. You know, he's definitely going to be heartbroken for all of the day, probably. But um, he'll be back, still kicking. And um, I still have the utmost confidence in him. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think he handled that like a pro there. I mean, that's the guy that, like, I, I made that point earlier in the show where Owen Daffer was kind of the reason we were bowl eligible last year with that clutch kick against Navy. That's a guy that's done great things for us. He's a guy that's going to win some games this year for us. Look, in the grand scheme of things, I don't want to say that game against NC State was meaningless. Obviously, that would have done a lot for the program. We would have done a lot for the team in general and their confidence moving forward. But at the end of the day, what you do in conference play is more important to me, and winning a conference championship is way more important to me, and that's the goal, I think, this year uh, that's in mind. Yeah, I mean, look, I understand Cincinnati made it last year, but if this ECU team goes 13-0, and they're not getting the college football playoff. Yeah. Uh, there's just not enough high enough hype coming into them at the beginning of the season. I think yeah, even it, though they're undefeated, I don't yeah, think they get that's in. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. If they're 13, no, they're not getting in. Yeah. So at the end of the day, yeah, it 
It will not affect how the season ends, really. The conference does. But, um, yeah, I understand. It's it's a big game for Pirate Nation. It's a rivalry game. You know, we can't stand state. And uh, the team really wanted to win. The players really wanted to win. But I think there's a very good message that we kind of heard from all the players we talked to. Is that the, you know, at the end of the day, played a heck of a game. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot of good, a lot of bad, and, and move on. And, you know, I think the team's head – at least the three guys we talked to, their head is really in the right spot, and uh, they're not going to let it get to them, which is which is a very good thing. It shows the maturity of this team. Yeah, take it one week at a time. Uh, Miles Berry talked about the crowd on Saturday, record-breaking crowd, 51,711 fans in attendance, the most for an ECU football home game in the program's history. Miles Berry on the crowd uh, at ECU versus NC State on Saturday. I, I knew it was going to be crazy. I never witnessed it uh, that crazy before. So uh, just what I would tell all of Pirate Nation is we need that. We need that for the rest of the year because we feed off that. And um, it, it was a great thing to see. Let's hear from the coach of the ECU Pirates, Mike Houston, here. His, here's his, his reactions following that heartbreaking loss to NC State. There's not a whole lot to say. Um, kids fought their tails off. They inspire me with the way they play. Our preparation coming into this game, we were very confident this morning. I know nobody outside of you know Greenville gave us much of a chance, but those kids never doubted. We should have won the ball game. We outplayed them. We dominated them physically in the second half. I just don't really hurt for those kids in that locker room right now. They've they brought this program from the depths back to what it was today. I mean, that stadium today was incredible. Our fan base is incredible. And we all deserve to have a win today. And I'm just, I'm sorry we're not sitting here celebrating one. Definitely a win Mike Houston would to have on his resume. But at the end of the day, I think he's, I'm thinking he's thinking more conference championship moving forward. And I think that would be a huge boost for this program. And that matters way more to me than getting a win against NC State. I mean, we got a win against NC State in the Scotty Mo era. What did that mean? Absolutely nothing. So, I mean, yeah, you take it one week at a time. I think this team is strong, mentally strong enough and just strong enough in general where he can move on from this loss and actually do something very historical and huge for the CCU football program. Moving on, Mike Houston didn't hold back when he talked about the special teams play Saturday. Yeah, well, the block punt, we missed a block on the line of scrimmage right there. Luke still should have gotten it off, he knows. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very... Mature guy, you just gotta get that kickoff. We can't give up. We can't give up cheap points. I thought it was gonna cost us the game. It almost didn't cost us the game, but in the end, it's a mistake we can't make. I mean, the kicks—they're not non-characteristic of Owen. He knew what he did on the first kick with the extra point. He had a chance to redeem himself, and unfortunately, he did. You know, he's looking worse than anybody right now. Um, you know, we've got to support him, and uh, he's got to rebound from this. But. Uh, Tough, tough pill. All right, that's going to do it for the audio from the players and the coaches from NC State versus ECU. Heartbreaking for sure, but I think this team's got a good mentality moving forward in pursuit of a conference championship. I mean, imagine saying that a couple years ago. I mean, you would think I was insane. The fact this team uh, has the potential to compete for a conference championship, I mean, that's definitely good to say or leave my mouth, and I believe it. This team I believe could, it could also. Be. Yeah, I really absolutely. Do. Moving on. Another major news drop last week, college football expansion now in play. 
More on that. The other side of this quick timeout here on the Patrick Johnson Show. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B Baby Barn funding for the P Man here. Philip the Rest Pilkington right across from me. Chris Cook, DJ C Squared, Cookie on the ones and twos, who I body slammed over the weekend, and it felt great. But some breaking news on Friday when it comes to, yeah, it was great. It was a Ric Flair woo type of moment. But some breaking news in the uh, world of college football on Friday, huge news. This could be good news for ECU moving down the line if they ever have a season that qualifies to get in this. But college football playoff officially announces 12-team playoff will begin in 2026. Unless earlier implementation is possible, the field will consist of the six highest-ranked conference champions, which means a group of five team will get an automatic bid in the college football playoffs, and six highest-ranked at-large teams will get in the college football playoffs. First round will be on campus. Quarterfinals and semifinals will be at both sites. Initial reactions, I think this is a good thing for group of five schools. You could potentially have two. um, It's a little unlikely, but maybe even three teams. In a college football playoff, maybe down the line, I think this is great for ECU. We're not only for ECU, but just grouping five schools in general. Just with the uh, just looking at the uh, report here. Yeah, I think it gives you kind of a shot, and it it gives you the narrative that if you go undefeated, you're automatically in, kind of thing, which I think mm-hmm. is right. I mean, I think if you don't lose all year, you should be in. I mean, that's how it works in basketball because yeah. every conference champion gets in. Yeah. So I like that. The only junky thing is. There is going to be some just horrible games yeah. because of this, yeah. and we've seen it every year. It's well, going to we bring kind of saw in, some horrible games last year. Yeah, it, every format. year there's there's yeah. there's bad semifinal games. It's going to create more bad games. The only thing that is nice though is some of those like seven eight seeds might yeah. be two loss SEC teams that will actually be better than a four seed because like now the four seeds like oh it's Cincinnati or it's yeah. Washington when they won the Pac twelve and they were not good but they were undefeated in the Pac twelve champ so. Yeah. Uh, it'll create some more junk games, but I think the nice thing is it'll create a few good games as well, especially in that first round. And then, like you said, as well as doing that, it will just give everyone an opportunity. That way nobody can now say, hey, we went undefeated. Who's to say we didn't win the national championship like UCF did that time? So Yeah, yeah I always thought it was ridiculous that UCF never uh, made it in. They had two undefeated I seasons, no, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. yeah. Either way, um, there's no excuses any longer. What does concern me about this is when you look at the six highest-ranked at-large teams, and it's a point you brought up, you're going to get a lot of SEC teams. And then it comes a deal where uh, this is kind of an extension of a SEC championship almost, except it was for the national championship. And I think a lot of people, especially the group of five diehards or fans of teams in the group of five, are not going to be too keen on that. But it's fair. I mean, the format is what it is, and I think it's a fair format nonetheless. Um I know the AP, uh, a lot of people don't like the AP poll and think it could be a little screwy, but nonetheless, it's been fairly consistent. Um, I don't mind this format at all. I think it's actually, I think it's very fair across the board. So, yes, a lot of SEC teams will get in, but there's been years that 10 or 11 ACC teams have gotten in the 68 field, yeah, team field in March the Madness. basketball tournament. Yeah. So. It's not going to be any different, and the thing is, now that the third SEC team is getting in, 
it'll make it a true more national champion because teams can slip up in the early in the season. They can have injuries. Yep. And then another point that uh, – so we had John Gilbert on Henry's show the other day on Friday. He brought up the point of teams are scared to play big-time out-of-conference opponents because if they lose one game, they yep. have to win their next 11 yep. in order to make it. Maybe 12 if they have a conference championship game, which I guess most of them now knew. So you have to go 12-1 and one or 13-0 and 0 to make it. Uh, you know, Commissioner or Director Gilbert brought up the good point of, hey, you know what? Now these teams will play better out of conference games. They won't be playing cupcake schools as much, and it'll give us better games earlier in the year because teams can go ten and two and still make the college football playoff. Yeah, um, and I like the point you made about March Madness because it led me to another thought here. Um, I think when you look at when the college football playoff has kind of been implemented, not a lot of Cinderella moments, and I think that's what makes March Madness great the fact that we get a lot of Cinderella moments and signature moments. When you look at the history of the college football playoff in general, you don't have a lot of those just because it is the best, kind of the best four teams in the country. Not a lot of upsets just in general when it comes to that format. I like the fact that we have a potential for some signature and key moments and some fun moments where we can have some potential huge upsets or Cinderella moments there. I think that was something that was desperately needing and desperately lacking uh, in the college football playoffs because there really was no... Uh, a lot of a lot of what makes Mar- March Madness great is the drama aspect of it, the dramatic effect to it when it comes to those underdogs and those upsets and the fact that you j- legitimately believe anybody can win any game in that format. I think now that's implemented in college football with this new playoff format, and I think that's huge, and I think that's all the more entertaining if you're a college football fan. Yeah, I mean, wasn't Coastal top 12? couple years ago they might have been 13 yeah yeah they were they they had a high ranking for sure yeah would it have happened probably not but had it happened everything that that just that just emphasizes everything you said yeah absolutely absolutely um i'm i'm for this um i think it opens up the door for maybe down the line if ecu has a really good year they could be competing for a national championship which probably wouldn't have been the case with this previous format so I'm all for it. It's good for group of five. I think it's fair also for the power five who doesn't seem to want to give uh, the group of five any kind of play. I think it's really fair across the board. People might disagree, disagree, and I want to see the counterpoints to that. Why would you not like this new format? Um, but nonetheless, I think everybody here agrees that it's great, um, it's fair, and uh, it's something that's desperately been, meeting, or been needed in college football. It's going to do it for uh, college football. Uh, playoff expansion. I'm for it. I like it. Coming up on the other side of this quick timeout, we'll wrap it up and lead you into the ECU Mike Houston radio show live from Logan's Roadhouse, plus reactions to other college football games of the weekend across the country. All that and more on the final segment here of the Patrick Johnson Show. We'd appreciate it if anyone hearing this broadcast would communicate with us. More of the Patrick Johnson Show is coming up on your flagship home of the ECU Pirates. We are very anxious to know how far the broadcast is reaching. 94.3 The Game. And 94.3thegame.com. And now, the stunning conclusion of the show. It's the P-Man here on 94.3 The Game. Welcome back to the Patrick Johnson Show. Ben B. Baby Barm wrapping it up here. Phil, the ref, Pilkington, right across from me. Chris Cook, 
On the ones and twos, Cookie, DJC squared. I body slammed him. It was a great moment. Moving on here, looking at the other games that happened over the weekend, I think the big one when it pertains to ECU is the Old Dominion-Virginia Tech game. Uh, Old Dominion pulling off the upset, winning 20-17 to in Norfolk. That's definitely huge moving forward. You have a team with a chip on their shoulder coming to Greenville, riding high, and you have a team in ECU, which I think they're mentally tough. They're going to be fine, but uh, a lot of people might question how they're feeling coming into this game, um, if they're going to feel defeated. I think that's something that's definitely going to be addressed in the coaches' show. Following uh, the show here at 6 o'clock, I'm sure that will be asked, just the mentality of the team moving forward. Um just how do you get them right? How do you recover from a loss like that? Um, especially about it against a big in-state rival in NC State that was ranked in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium in front of a record-breaking crowd. Um, definitely going to be interesting to see how that game plays out next week. Old Dominion defense looked great. Uh, Grant Wells, who's a transfer from Marshall, announced as the starter only a couple weeks before the uh, for the season here. I believe only three weeks ago he was announced as the starter. Um who knows? I don't know if Virginia Tech has a lot of competition in that quarterback room, but he had one touchdown as opposed to uh, four interceptions here in that game against Old Dominion. Not good at all. Um, Old Dominion or Virginia Tech's offense in general just didn't look like uh, just didn't look good at all in that game. Probably one of the bright spots when it came to Virginia Tech on offense was Keyshawn King, 19 carries for 111 yards, average 5.8. Um, yards per carry no touchdowns um yeah old dominion right and high definitely a huge game um when you look back at the uh games that have happened in the college football or had happened in college football this past weekend when it pertains to the pirates so um, what i'm hearing is old dominion is not good virginia tech is just bad that's what it sounds like i i mean i'm not necessarily saying that i'm just saying virginia tech I, yeah, I mean, bad. I didn't even I didn't even consider it much of an upset to be honest with you. I even said in the pregame show, I guess it's an upset. Uh, not I, I didn't they're really bad. I didn't even really look at it as Virginia an upset. Virginia Tech's bad. Yeah. They're just bad. Okay, all right, all right. Whatever. <laughs> That's gonna do it for us here on the Pastors Johnson Show. Stay tuned. The Mike Houston Radio Show live from Logan's Roadhouse. Thoughts on that uh, that disappointing loss to NC State in Dowdy Ficklin Stadium. Thoughts on Owen Daff from the special teams, Holton Aylers, the offense, and how elite the defense was from the man himself, Mike Houston, coming up right here on 6 o'clock. That's going to do it for us here on the Patrick Johnson Show. The return of the P-Man tomorrow, live at 5. Special thanks to Chris Cook on the ones and twos, Phil the ref Pilkington. I was Ben Byram. That's going to do it for us here on the Patrick Johnson Show.